Welcome everybody to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode 13. As we alluded to in the last episode, it's been seven days for you. For us, it's been closer to two or three minutes and we're going to head into another bunch of listener questions. So thanks everyone for asking these. Uh, we put out a Q&A poll every single week over on Bodybuilding Down Under. So if you haven't followed us over there, make sure to do so. And uh, we'll get straight into question number one, which says, do you think conditioning can be taken too far? So DY, I'm going to give this one to you first up. Well, considering I'm a men's fitness competitor, uh, 100% it can get taken too far. But if we're talking bodybuilding, I feel like this day and age, as long as you still have that fullness, if we're talking about straight conditioning, I feel like guys like even DC here and BK, there's pretty much nothing left in the tank in terms of conditioning wise. But like, obviously, if you dig even deeper, thinking that you might be able to get more conditioned, chances are you're probably just going to get soft and stringy. So in other divisions, yes, but I feel like with figure, as long as you're maintaining a large majority of your muscle mass, like with the bodybuilding and figure, I don't think really you can probably get too lean unless you start sacrificing a bunch of other things. What's your take on it, DC? Yeah, pretty pretty much same as what you would say. So, I mean, not specific to bodybuilding, but other categories, yes. I mean, um, conditioning can be taken too far, particularly if it results in you bringing in a level of conditioning, which is not favorable, you know, to the judges and you're, and you're marked down for that. Uh, in terms, terms of bodybuilding, it's interesting how the conditioning requirement for, you know, top tier conditioning has changed quite, profu- quite, quite largely over time. You know, you think a decade ago, and it was very, very rare that you would see an individual come on stage with, you know, striated glutes. And if they did, it was like, whoa, this is just abnormal, right? And now, now it's almost a, uh, I guess you could almost say like a requirement of placing in, in bodybuilding nowadays, because it's highly it's highly sought after as, as a, an indication of achieving, you know, desirable level of conditioning. So in terms of taking conditioning too far, I mean, if, if you, if, if by definition, we, we define that as being, you know, continuing to dig within a, a, a dieting phase by which it starts to, um, I guess, pull from muscle tissue and we're not sort of, I guess, giving back to the system on occasion, then yes, I guess it's almost chasing conditioning too much at the detriment of not being strategic with one's, you know, nutritional periodization. Um, but I think the, the consensus is that you're, you're essentially trying to aim for, you know, that level of conditioning, which a lot of people would look at and say that's taking conditioning too far. Right. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I'm at with it. Like, I think if you're pushing conditioning and pushing conditioning, pushing conditioning, and it's, and it's actually having a deleterious effect to your, contest prep because you haven't run something like a refeed a diet break or something like that to give back to the system or you've been just dieting for too long your contest prep period has been too long in general then this is where you know the fight for conditioning can be can be almost deleterious what do you guys think in 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 that case i think ultimately you're you're, you're trying to get there but the strategy by which you employ to get there needs to be um very meticulously thought out I want to ask a question. Do you think that you could have really gotten much more condition than what you did? Like, like example, like BK as well. Do you, when he was at like the WMBF worlds, do you really think he could have got any more condition than that without sacrificing the muscle mass? I feel like that's like nearly peak. Like you, how deep his cuts were, was like pretty much like next level. I don't think you could really get much more. 
Mm, no, no, I don't really think so. But I would also say that that seeing someone in person versus seeing someone in a photo, you know, is a different story as well. So um, I think it, maybe if I'd seen Brandon in person, it might have been different. But just like the preconditioning that he brings is is ridiculous, right? It's 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 top tier. So you, I would say, firstly, that it's unlikely that he would have needed to pull much, much more really he might beg to differ to be honest it might be more of a question to ask him but um in my case i still think that was probably a little bit more i could have pulled maybe perhaps um through the glutes just to get through some of the the, the really really deeper cuts there um i think but... that would have actually been at your benefit though like getting that last little bit off or would it come yeah, on that cost so... of something else yeah i mean well interestingly within the last few weeks of prep was probably my my greatest digging phase like because I'm quite vascular in in the last component of prep, um, and so that can somewhat mask my conditioning levels, and it can almost make me appear to be leaner than I actually am. Um, and so, the difference between, for example, the Tropic Show and the Queensland Show, which were a week apart, um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure my weight came down by about sort of a kilo and a half between my my lowest low that I achieved leading up to Tropics and the lowest low that I achieved leading up to. Uh, Queensland so uh, you know we sort of ripped ripped weight off in that last last week steps went up ridiculously high cows got massive pulls and it was almost a necessary means of being able to ensure that my conditioning was going to be 100% for that Queensland show and you know did, did I potentially lose muscle between that week yeah maybe I, I almost think I, I did in a way but it was almost necessary to ensure that my conditioning was on point because that was probably the one thing that let me down a little bit to lose the overalls in the tropic show. Um, and then obviously win, win the Queensland. So, you know, you could almost look at that and go, is, is that taking conditioning too far? But it was like, it was what was necessary within that last week, even though someone externally would look at the protocol and go, this is mad. You're pulling off, you know, a kilo and a half in terms of a lowest low in a single week. This can't be the case. And, you know, you don't think of your peak week as being ideal in that manner, do you? I had one single refeed prior to getting on stage the following day. And that was my peak week. You know, a lot of people think that their peak week is going to be five or six days of high cows leading into their show. But um, yeah. What do you think, Lawrence, before I give my recap? Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is I think it's just very person dependent. And I think it's the competitor and what their best look is and what it's going to be. I think it's probably most relevant to the younger athlete. So, you know, your teenage bodybuilders, the guys who are competing with not a huge amount of muscle mass, just purely because they haven't had the time to yet build that tissue. And a lot of the time, if you really grind some of those teen and junior athletes into the dirt, trying to get them legit peeled, they just end up looking small. And I think if I compare my conditioning during when I competed as a teenager compared to my conditioning in my most recent contest prep, like that 2018 compared to 2020, I don't know if I was really much lower in body fat, but I looked way leaner in 2020 purely, I think just because I had more muscle. So I think that if you're a coach and you've got a younger athlete like that, if you're just going to need to push them to the point where they just look small, but they're really shredded, you need to kind of ask yourself, well, are you really satisfying the criteria? Like it is a bodybuilding show. It's not about who can diet the hardest. It's not about who is the all out 
you know, leanest person on the stage, you still need to present some muscularity and fullness and shape and that sort of thing. And everyone's physique is going to be a little bit different. Like, I guess when you think about DC as an example, like someone who naturally has really round bubbly muscle, it's like, is getting him to the most sucked down version of his physique the most favorable thing and then he loses that roundness he loses that bubbliness through the chest and the delts and the arms like you know i think that's an argument where you could even argue it the other way like maybe dc coming in softer would be even bubblier and rounder so that would still be a strength and obviously i think he struck that balance really well at the brisbane show but i think you need to consider the age of the athlete and then also play to athlete strength as well yeah i i completely agree with with all of you it's especially like Lawrence's point there about finding that balance and factoring in those external variables as well, because of course it would be ideal if we could have as much muscle as possible and get as lean as possible everywhere. Like that's ultimately what we want to achieve and not sacrifice any muscularity. But I think the reality is most competitors who compete now, are, they're in their first couple of years of competing and often they'll probably be on the younger side getting into the sport and they, they won't have the muscularity. I'll be honest, even my first and second prep, I didn't have the muscularity in my back to really get it that lean. It kind of just looked like a pancake. Uh, my glutes were strided as hell. My whole lower body was, but my back was flat. And that's not because I didn't dig hard enough because I certainly did. It was just more so due to me not having a back, which um, is something I aim to rectify next time. So I think the other thing to consider as well is the the federation too. Like ICN really, really likes conditioning, uh, especially Queensland, I would say. And they always reward conditioning from what I've seen. Whereas other federations, like for example, in, in the UK, I, I recently saw this show, the BNBF, where the guy who won the overall and who won the heavyweights, he wasn't really that conditioned. And there were people there who were much leaner than him, but just weren't as muscular, didn't have as much of a greater shape. Um, and and he beat them. So I think a lot of it comes down to the judges and the federation as well, and what what they kind of want to see the most on the day. I've even noticed that with um, INBA, the the natural Olympia as well, they sometimes seem to crown people who may not have the you know the same level of conditioning, um, or, or or sorry, the the you know top tier conditioning, but perhaps they're just a larger individual with more muscle mass, and therefore you know within their judging criteria they've favored muscularity as being sort of you know topped here number one and then conditioning has been sort of second posing and things like that third fourth mm. um but yeah i think that's definitely the case there's individual um, biases within or biases within um certain federations in terms of what they believe to be the most appropriate athlete on the day yeah, I noticed like the WMBF, like over when we were in like New York and stuff like that, very big on symmetry and like proportions, muscle bellies, and then obviously the completeness of the physique and the conditioning is just like that thing that pretty much just ties it all together. Like they're very big on all the other things before they kind of look at the conditioning. Like obviously when you're at that pro level, the conditioning is nearly always there, but not as lean as some of the other guys, especially when you have that symmetry proportions and all that lined up prior. Mm. And I think that's as Aussie athletes where the primary federation is ICN, like we have to take that into consideration if we do compete overseas, because if we're getting shredded as hell and sacrificing some fullness, then, and we want to do well overseas, like you can't exactly always reverse it once you've already lost fullness. But I would almost be the devil's, devil's advocate here and sort of say, well, 
if for example you wanted to compete overseas and you knew that this federation would perhaps not uh score conditioning as high as muscularity would you therefore not not push as hard for the conditioning by which you you know what you want to strive for just based off that because i put it put it this way I would want to take my conditioning to as far as I could take it whilst, you know, maintaining the integrity of my physique. And I'm probably unlikely going to think of as particular, and this is specific to bodybuilding, but I'm not going to think, okay, WNBF. Yeah. They kind of go for like guys that maybe aren't as like strided through the glutes or blah, 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 blah. It's unlikely that I'm going to go, okay, I'm not going to diet as hard, you know, within this contest prep. Like I'm going to want to take it as far as I can. Do you think those guys over in the UK maybe get as lean as what we do in Australia? I feel like Australia is now like kind of up the standard and UK, like obviously they are very conditioned, but they're definitely, I would say not as conditioned as what let's say BK brings in a lot of his boys. I remember when BK had his boy over in, I believe it was the BNBF over there in uh, London or whatever. He won the overall and won his pro card because he was pretty much the only one that was extremely conditioned and actually held good symmetry and shape. It was kind of like, I guess the stepping stone, like the first one over there that truly had that peeled condition apart from like Ben Howard. And then Ben Howard did extremely well when he was extremely conditioned as well. I think it's always based on, I guess, who's stepping on stage within within that season, right? At the end of the day, because yeah, you look at people like Mitch, Mitch Jarv, I think it is mm-hmm. Jarvis and um and Ben Howard, like ridiculous, right? Peeled yeah. peeled glutes. Um, you know, you look over in the states, you look at like Bathtub, and uh, the conditioning that he brings, right? It's ridiculous, like insane, right? So it's all it's all, I guess, based on who actually steps on stage within within that season. I must say all the athletes there that did compete uh, also have really well-rounded physiques. Like they come in shredded, but they come in full. They got very good symmetry and they got good muscle bellies as well. So I was going to ask you this, um, this person came into my train of thought the other day. And I guess it does make sense because he had, what are some of the most like nasty, gnarly glutes I've ever seen. Do you guys remember Alex Emery from a couple of years back? One of BK's boys? I do. Yeah. I think he competed down south somewhere. Do you know what's happened to him? Is he still training, competing? I haven't heard much from him. No, like I think he's in someone who potentially doesn't post much on socials. So therefore, they're pretty non-existent to me in my yeah, own no, <laughs> Man, I remember seeing some of the photos of him and he's like, he has to have the biggest glutes mm-hmm. I think I've ever seen on yeah. a natural bodybuilder. Like they could probably fill this room to be fair. Yeah. They were huge. And they were like, like in extreme condition, they were just like bulbous from the side. I couldn't imagine him in the off season with like a pair of tights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost at the extent there where it's detrimental to the physique and I'd agree, mm, which is interesting in a natural. Cause you usually don't reach that point with it, with any body part, but I can't, can't really think of any other if it's in true condition like many other aspects of the physique being too big but i think the glutes are definitely one muscle group which could be have you heard of bo lewis in the ifbb <laughs> i think you brought him up a couple of times <laughs> yeah anyway, a fan favorite I'll, of I'll yours leave that one up to listeners to do a bit of research but yeah one body part certainly too big even when in stage condition <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus well, let's, let's move on to, I guess, on a slightly similar train of thought. What's the best way to get rid of leg hair? So I guess this relates to the competition period. 
and uh, we're all male here. We all have leg hair. I think some of us have coarser leg hair than others. Yeah, Jack, I reckon you're the uh, you're the hairiest lad out of all of us. So this is probably the question for you, to be honest. What okay. lawnmower did you use? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what whippersnipper did you use to shave those legs, man? Jesus. I think you guys are just comparing the my my lovely beard to my lower body, but my my legs are quite easy to shave in all honesty. And prep, I used a variety of different approaches. Like honestly, it was more the EA that got to me, like the low energy in prep where I didn't want to sit down and, and wet shave my legs. So I ended up trying to use some different hacks to uh to make it easier on myself. And one of the things I tried was like that hair removal cream, which just didn't work for me. I even tried uh, electric, like just razoring my legs and then using it still didn't work. I'm not sure who it actually works for. Uh, maybe people with just like uh, wispy hair. And then I used actually something called like an epilator, which pulls the hair out by the roots, which is kind of painful, but it to me, it was still better than, than shaving my legs. Because whenever I shave, I just get a bunch of ingrown. So... I used uh, an epilator, which I wouldn't recommend personally. Have I, any of you ever heard of an epilator? Yeah, I have heard of one before. Mm. But in my case, I tried to acclimate my uh, my skin to shaving sort of leading up to the show. So sort of a few, quite a few weeks out, I would start shaving as if I would, if I was for show. And I think that that just helped a lot because it wasn't going like going from you know, zero straight to shaving all of a sudden. Um, I, I believe I used a electric razor initially to get through like most of the hair. And then I just used a, like a wet razor for the, for the remainder of it pretty much the day before mm. nothing, nothing super, super special about the process, but yes, I totally understand the lack of energy. Mm. I think I actually brought a chair into the shower <laughs> so I would be sitting down until I had to shave my own ass. I, um, unfortunately i had nicole for that i do apologize <laughs> to her for that <laughs> i want to know what happens when 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 you don't have a, a girlfriend because i mean we all had partners at that when we compete it, I mean, can we you all... ask your brother or <laughs> i guess you, you're doing your mom or dad the real good <laughs> spread in the mirror yeah. <laughs> did because i yeah Gemma helped me out as well for some of those hard to reach places um did did tiara help you out jack well, yeah, it wasn't my dogs. It was definitely Tiara. <laughs> I reckon you could find someone on like um, what, what Craigslist. Yeah, you could just find someone. Just <laughs> just come into your house, help you out. I'm, air I'm, tasker. Yeah, yeah, air tasker. <laughs> I need a sheep shearer. Uh, anyone free for about <laughs> half an hour? You got some old bloke driving out from like Kingaroy. He's like, I'm doing it. I'll do it for uh, free. <laughs> for, for myself, I did uh, like an electric razor. And then once I got to the point where the electric razor wasn't doing anything, I pretty much like shaving creamed my entire body and then went went at it with a razor. So I knew I didn't miss any spots and then also minimizes uh, ingrown hairs. But I did notice, Jack, next time you do it, if you go with the grain on uh, some of the areas that are prone to ingrown hairs, like your cord, you're not going to get them. Okay. Good to know. It's when you go against the grain and you don't use shaving cream, you're probably in for hell. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I also, I just used a, a electric razor for my arms. Did you guys wet shave that out of interest? Yeah, I wet shaved, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Went over everything with the uh, the shearer and then pretty much just shaving cream to raise it every bit after that. I never know where to stop 
when I'm doing my forearms. Like that's not something I do in the off season. Like that's an exclusive prep special. But I'm like, now I have this like darker hair. So I end up shaving my whole hand. And it's <laughs> it's really weird. Because otherwise it like it's almost like I'm wearing like a cutoff and like my hand is still hairy. Um, but the armpit hair, that regrowth has to suck out of them all. Like oh, yeah. so uncomfortable. It that's the worst thing ever. I remember when I was in like maybe grade four or grade five and I was starting to get hair in that area and I just didn't want to be the only kid at school with armpit hair so I remember shaving my armpit hair as a kid and then you know you get into high school and then you wear it like a badge of honor but yeah I do uh so whenever our comp time comes around I'm reminded of that 10 year old Lawrence yeah it's, it's the hardest place to actually shave as well you end up getting some some cuts and stuff especially if you're like Lawrence and has a good sized chest and laps so Oh, Jack. Thanks, mate. You just <laughs> you caught you. me in a, a really vulnerable moment there, so you made me feel better. I'll reverse those compliments. I don't want another another reel about me complimenting you. So, <laughs> <laughs> How diligent are we all with the manscaping in the off-season, though? Uh, I, I, do a, I do a year-round. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Like, the wet shave is not as as common, but I'll normally still do, like, the clippers on the legs once they start to get a bit hairy. Um but yeah, it's such I just a do it once a week as a default, just like one shower. All right, shave the legs, shave the arms, off we go. He was like a wet fish. He's just like, just super smooth. Silky. <laughs> I would like to get to that point, but yeah, I just, my, my shower at the moment is one of the ones where it's like a bathtub and a shower and it's, it's difficult enough to stand up in as it That's is. That's a death so. trap. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> death trap. You fall down, well, think, get caught up in the shower curtain as well, and it's not good. Thing is, the hardest thing is when you forget one week, and then the week after is just like absolute hell. You got to catch up on like fucking two weeks worth of shaving. You're sitting there; it's not pretty. So you got to keep on top of it. Alana's like, "What the hell have you been doing in the bathroom? You've been there for two hours. <laughs> got some like Katy Perry on, shaving cream everywhere." <laughs> if we had a Manscaped sponsorship, this would be the perfect time, but. Yeah, uh, we'll have to. We'll just keep grinding away. A few more episodes, and then we'll, we haven't be, quite, we'll be up. We there. haven't quite made it, boys. So maybe, Not quite. maybe based on this manscaping podcast, it might um, it might change. Who knows? Let's. Yeah, I think so. We'll Get to, to the bodybuilding the episode, scene. How to shave your legs? <laughs> so <laughs> okay. next Instagram reel on the bodybuilding podcast <laughs> on the uh, the bodybuilding down the Instagram. So this next question says. How often do you make changes to your bulking macros? Lawrence, I'll let you start this one. Far out, mate. I was just about to say that I'll sit this one out because I think there's three other gentlemen on the call that are much more across the uh, the reasoning that goes through this. So I think I will uh, respectfully throw over to DC. Yeah, so how often should you change your, your bulking macros? I guess it would be based on, you know, using some form of measurement. So in, in my my case, I tend to use um, daily body weight just as a proxy to assess, you know, overall weight trends. And I guess if that person's like highest to high and average weight is not moving within the the span of let's say two two or three weeks, then it's probably time to make, you know, a further bump to someone's um, calories. So I typically use body weight as a proxy to determine whether we should be increasing one's nutrition or not. We've been seeing a steady rate of gain, uh, you know, consecutively across weeks. Then you can be pretty assured that you're in, you know, a, a state of gaining. So, 
um, I'd probably hold out until you see a little bit more of a plateau of your weight trends or perhaps a slowing, a slowing, uh, then that would probably be an indication there. What do you boys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. Like as I set for myself and for clients, okay, what is the weekly amount that we're trying to aim for here? I'll often go across four weeks as well. So like if we're trying to gain around 1% of their body weight per month, I'll, if they've had maybe a higher week of gaining for one particular week, I'll, I'll use a four weekly average um, or otherwise, if they fall below a certain amount per week, I'll, I'll just up their macros for the, for the following week and usually go in 90 to hundred calorie increments myself. Like I'm personally not someone who will increase someone's fat by two grams. I, I usually do more substantial jumps than that. Yeah. I'm similar to you about hundred K cals per jump. With me, I normally go off weight as well. I'll get my way in pretty much every weekly, maybe every two weekly. What I'll do is I'll normally check in with Joe every like two weeks. I go over there. He does a skin fold. So that way we've got like two metrics to go off. I'll have a look at my weight, see how that's trending. He'll get the skin folds, see the rate of fat gain. And then dependent on what happens is dependent on if I'll up them. Like obviously I'm going down weight, my skin folds are dropping, then high chances they're probably going to be increased uh, another thing is i do sometimes is maybe if i do like an increase in training volume or training perform uh or i'm looking to increase my training performance maybe something stalled out there um i might give like a little bit of a cal increase uh, other than that very similar to these boys mm. yeah something that doesn't really need to be overcomplicated. and i think we've said enough of that you don't want to weigh in any more on that one lawrence Mate, I, uh, I tell you what my reasoning is to increase my calories is when I see add 25 carb on the check-in from Joey. Very nice. <laughs> Very A-plus client right there. So I think if your weight's going up like weekly, like, you know, or bi-weekly, and if you're trying to gain alongside strength, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Mm. Mm. I think if you're looking at just like a single week by itself and you're trying to determine whether your, your calories should be making an increase or not, then that can be quite challenging because mm. there might be, and also our, you know, our weight doesn't move linearly, even in terms of an average as well. So there's there's probably more of a, a particular weight uh, range by which you're you're maintaining, right? So I guess if you look at you like you Jack said, averaging your weight over the course of a month, and towards the end of that month is your average sitting higher than at the beginning of the month, then it's a pretty easy determinant as to whether you're actually in a state of gaining or not. So mm. yeah, I think. You know, there's going to be one week where my weight trends might come up a little bit and I'm not going to then sort of have a knee-jerk reaction and go, oh my God, I'm in such a state of gaining right now. I'm going to have to rip my calories down because my maintenance has changed because likely the week after it's probably going to average out. It's going to come mm -hmm. back down again. So it's just, yeah, assessing assessing not a single, you know, point of data and not a single week, but consecutive weeks in a row that's going to give you, it's going to paint more of a picture for you. Okay, so this next question is another more lifestyle-based one and haven't actually answered anything like this one on the podcast before. We've always talked about our favorite music genres in the gym, but never outside the gym. So, Lawrence, a proper question for you this time. What are some of your favorite music genres outside of the gym or, or do you listen to the same sort of stuff as in the gym? Uh, certain songs, potentially. Like, you know, if I, like, I'm a big fan of, you know, certain artists and I might have one or two songs that I like playing in the gym, but for the most part, it is a little bit different. So I pretty much listen to like fairly exclusively like hip hop. So a few of my favorite rappers are Kendrick Lamar, Joey Badass, Drake, Chance the Rapper, guys like that. 
they're probably a few of my favorites. Um, Joey Badass actually just released his new album, which is tremendous. I've been cracking into that. And then, you know, every now and again, something a little bit lighter, maybe a bit of Doja Cat, a bit of Ariana Grande. I do quite like them both. Um, but I don't listen to music very often. I'm much more inclined to put a podcast on. But, you know, if I'm driving in the car with someone, you know, like my mate and I, we drove out to Southside to train. So I'll whack a few tunes on then. Um, but yeah, it's a lot more podcasts for me. But what I have been doing a lot more recently is that my so-called gym playlist, I'll just be re reserving that for like the top sets of the workout. And then as soon as I'm through those really big sets, I'll just chuck on something else. Like I'll chuck on my Kendrick playlist or my Drake playlist or whatever, just because I was just getting to the point where it's like so much input and really heavy stimulus like that. It was just kind of creating like more head noise than anything. Whereas I find to reserve some of those really big tracks and really get that arousal up for one or two sets is awesome. And then, you know, whatever else is in my ears for the rest of it, as long as it's not garbage, um, I'm not too fussed. So I've definitely changed my approach with music in the gym a little bit. Uh, but yeah, pretty much uh, mainly hip hop is my go-to outside of the gym, mate. Like, would someone see you potentially in your car singing along to this hip hop? Or are you usually someone who is <laughs> pretty silent? Like, you just enjoy the, the words? Um depends well that's the thing like I'm, I'm normally listening to a podcast so i can't mm. exactly sing along with the podcasts unless it's my own um but no like i'll you know like if i do happen to be listening to the music like I'll, I'll get into it a little bit um obviously avoiding one or two words which uh goes without saying especially the genre of music i listen to um mm. but yeah no like i think it's i think it's good like sometimes i think i should maybe switch the podcasts off more and just listen to some music because like, you know, it's constantly thinking about something. And if, if it's not like a mindless podcast where it's just like a bit of banter and chat, then you're normally having to listen quite intently. And sometimes mm. I think, you know, I should probably try and switch off a bit more and just, you know, on the half an hour home from the gym, just throw on some music and just try to relax a bit. But I just, I know I like the podcast. So mm. yeah. Can't blame you. What about you, DY? I'm actually quite similar. Normally like like some like R&B, some like rap or something like that. And then also a little bit of EDM as well, depending on who's in the car because majority of people don't like hard rap. So I'm like, all right, well, better better tune it down. But some in terms EDM. of like- I like it. Yeah, like some hardware, some show tech, like not, not so much recent, but like, yeah, some of the OGs, I guess. Bit of anger fist. No, not no Skrillex. No, oh Skrillex, I don't mind. I actually saw um one of his live in person. He's actually far better than what I expected in person than yeah, what you'd get from his music. The old Creamfields future music days. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was uh no, what, what was that other festival they used to have? Stereosonic. Stereo I think he he did his last ever set there. Yeah. I well, can see DY there. Stereosonic. I'm you know, fairly lean. Yeah. White yeah, t-shirt. Just like glistening in the sun while <laughs> I can definitely see it till they close them down and there's no more. I guess I'll have to go to Ultra Miami or something. Hopefully uh, Lawrence can join me. Tomorrowland. Could Ooh. you imagine Jack at a music festival? 
<laughs> I've, I've been to a music festival so when I was 16. Really? So Which one you dance? I, I was, uh, it was Good Life, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to go to that one year, but mum wouldn't let me. <laughs> Which is a bit sad. Wouldn't you have been 15 then? No, I think I was like 13. Yeah, because yeah, I would have been 15 or 16. So, like, you would have been a couple of years younger. Yeah. Yeah, Macklemore was going. That's why I wanted to go. What about you, DC? Um, I guess what so the question was outside of the gym, right? Not in the gym, because usually I'll listen to like drum and bass or um some sort of EDM or perhaps some metal or rock or something like that. But most of the time outside of the gym, I tend to listen to things that are a little bit more relaxing, like either jazz or sort of lounge style music. Lounge elevator house. music. Elevator music, yeah, basically. Um yeah, it just helps helps me to relax, helps me to chill, sort of play it throughout the house if I'm just chilling around the house cooking and mm. things like that um yeah mostly mostly that sort of genre or that style mm. the only time i think it would change for me i think would be when i would do some study or something and like i got like an interstellar playlist mm. you know that i think it was han zimmer or something Ooh, yeah. Uh, baby. Yeah. yeah it just kind of gets me in the mo- the zone i can't listen to a podcast when i'm doing like check-ins though because like i'm trying to listen to the podcast but then like mm. trying to look at all this data i'm like well fuck, i just zone out i'm like yeah i can't do it Hmm. EY absolute banger for that sort of thing is it's also Hans Zimmer it's the David Attenborough Planet Earth 2 it's the big earth with a blue background that playlist is excellent I'll have to to share my study playlist with you on Spotify it's about 90% Hans Zimmer so yeah just too good hey so good the and yeah the interstellar soundtrack is a belter for that Mm. I got like the 10 hour loop or something I'm sitting there and just zone out just need some Adderall or something, but you know, unfortunately, I don't have ADHD. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost describe um, music for me as like a personality trait, um, in the sense that I, whenever I'm doing something that I don't, not speaking to someone, I, I'll be listening to music. And I think my Spotify minutes is just off the charts. It's kind of crazy. I listen to a lot of, like, I guess, folk, you would call it. Um, that would be my main genre of music outside of the gym and not folk as in some dude playing the recorder, but more so like rock folk. Um, there's this band at the moment called uh, the war on drugs, um, which is my favorite, definitely overplayed. Um, but another guy called Gregory Allen Isakov, uh, which, yeah, they're just kind of soft rock. And, uh, I really like it. It just helps calm me and I can focus a lot better when having some like ambient noise, um, whenever I'm doing work and stuff. So yeah does what anyone was... actually listen to country no no <laughs> no i think it's massive in america though like it is I think very it's... big yeah yeah what was everyone's last podcast they went no sorry not podcast this is everyone's last podcast what was everyone's last concert that they went to would yours have been the good life one jack <laughs> i'm afraid so yeah i haven't been to any since what about you dy i haven't actually been to any but I went to schoolies, so I guess schoolies, if that counts. <laughs> it's all about the music down there, I hear. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Big focus, yeah. I was, yeah. I was there for the music. And you, DC? Uh, God, I think the last time I went to a music festival will probably be over in Europe, like when I went to Ibiza. And DC 10, uh, Amnesia, some of the listeners might, might know this if they, they go and do a Europe trip on occasion. But um, it's very, very much an EDM scene over there. And they have lots of um, music festivals as well. So Ants is another festival that I went to when I was over there. 
Yeah, that would probably would have been the last one I did was I think it was 20, 2017 it would have been. So it's been, God, it's been quite a few years now. Is it weird yeah. that I could see DC over there like with like the turtleneck, like the rock, and then has like the bum bag around at a music festival? Is that weird? <laughs> definitely get pretty sweaty with a turtleneck on, especially <laughs> yeah. in Ibiza. Yeah, you definitely would. <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit sweaty. <laughs> yeah, my sister just got back from Ibiza. Lovely, sleepy town, she says. Really nice, quaint little place. Yeah, nice and quiet. Everyone's just relaxing. Nice jazz music everywhere. No. <laughs> did you go to schoolies, Lawrence? I did not, know. I uh, was very fortunate. I went on a Europe trip with uh, school at the end of grade 12. So we left like two days after graduation. So as everyone was heading down, we were heading over to Europe, which was pretty cool. So... No, I did not do schoolies. Gemma did, though. Had some interesting stories to come home with. Sure. Yeah, I, I didn't. I went to England as well, in fact. So maybe, no, again, I keep forgetting you're younger than me, but <laughs> I, went to, I went to the UK instead of going to schoolies. What did you do, is- DC? Well, in terms of schoolies? Uh, trip to the GC. So I was living in Cairns, graduated from, from Cairns, and pretty much most of our school went up to went sorry down to to, to, to the gold coast for schoolies so to the big um, smoke mate yeah yeah that was a lot of fun no doubt and yeah let's let's finish this episode with something of a bit more value i hope and this one says what goes through your head prior to a big set so what are you envisioning what kind of psychs you up for that big lift dy what is it Oh, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily thinking about anything, but as all of you probably know by now, I'm a big fan of like some motivational speaking. Uh, so I probably got something like cranked up like that. Uh, normally they make like little snippets on like Instagram of like someone training really hard. So normally I like look over like a video or something like that prior to going into my set, but not so much that I'm thinking about anything, but I'm really immersed in like a hard training video or something along the lines of that before I go into that top set. Yeah. DC, what about you? Yeah, I don't think I'm thinking a whole lot. Not that I can recall, but I'm definitely blasting some sort of music and that's probably replacing my thoughts at that <laughs> point in time. Become a little bit more barbaric before that set. Um, but I think just the standard things like you can do this, you know, you've, you've got this, you've done this before, you've done a similar weight. Um, you're feeling awesome moving into this set. Like there's nothing that can stop me from achieving this, this lift. Um, that's probably the stuff that I, I throw into my head before a set. Yeah. Yeah, I've never to I've never found that stuff to work like self envisionment and not that it doesn't work for you. This is just more of a discussion point, like me telling myself that I'm going to do it. it. It never seems to work for me. Maybe I'm I'm doing it wrong. I, I kind of talk to myself like that as well. Like I always try and make my warm up sets prior, just feel like a breeze, like I always go into it. I'm just like this warm up set has to move extremely smooth. Like let's make it our bitch. And then it pays off for when I get into the bigger set, like what DC says, like, you know, when he's getting into that zone, like he's thinking mm. like, you know, I want, Oh, like I know I can do this. I just did a warm up set. It felt amazing. Like this one's going to be my bitch as well. And then, yeah. So no, like Rob Schneider voice is coming into your head and going, you can do it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Lawrence, what about you? Yeah, I think it's one of those things, hey, like you'd love to be able to say that you're, you know, having this internal monologue where it's like, think about your, and I know that I like put this stuff on my story and stuff. I, you know, like 
think about your next rear double bicep and like, but you can't think like that during the set. Like I think once the actual set is going, like you can't think about anything else than trying to keep your technique in the right place, try to feel it in the target tissues. So I just think that before my big sets, you know, I'll similar to what DC said, say that, you know, yes, this is a PB, but you know that you can do this push hard because it's within your capabilities. And I think that's also a way for me to really know that I'm taking it to an appropriate RAR. And, you know, I do quite like a little bit of a amp up before the set starts. So maybe as you're approaching the bar, you might tell yourself like, you know, come on or my weight or let's go or something like that. And sort of, I find that vocal cue just really kind of ramps me up and gets me yeah, ready to buddy. go. Yeah, buddy. But yeah, like it's all about, you know, picking and choosing your battles for that as well. Like if you're walking over to the car phrase and you're screaming, like it's probably not massively necessary, but there's probably going to be, you know, two or three sets in your workout where you will need to get that arousal up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that along with some good music, I find to be pretty good. Um, or depending, like I'm one of those people, like if I'm training with someone, I do like them to, you know, get in my ear a little bit. Um, so I'm not so, good at that. So apologies. No, no. So yeah, Jack's there like, yeah, no. No, you were pretty good, mate. Like um, I'm you better definitely than have I some people be. who take it too far though. You know, you're like doing triceps at the end of the workout and they're like yelling at you and you're like, that's all right, mate. Like, I'm fine here. I've got this. Um, so it's all about kind of picking and choosing your battles, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'm very internal. And that's why people shouting at me, like it's not going to do much. But me shouting, that's why I'm not good at shouting at other people either because I don't need to be shouted at. And I, just, I kind of tap into something like that primal instinct and then I'm good to go. So that's why like, me envisioning the set doesn't really work or something that does help me tap into things is like heavy music, uh, loud music, heavy metal. That's not necessarily even because I enjoy the, the heavy metal as a genre of music. It's more so it kind of invigorates you to tap into that part of yourself, which you need to, to get to. And I kind of use it as a, as a shortcut to get there. That's kind of how I describe it. Yeah. I remember uh, I remember you uh, you were listening to a little bit of motivational stuff when you were training. I knew that I saw that you well, I watched it on Keefe West, I think one of his videos, and you gave it a shot. What did you think of it? Mm. Yeah, I think that's okay, like after the heavy stuff. But again, it comes back to podcasts like me having to listen to it. I'd rather, yeah, not have to think about listening to it, if that makes sense. Did mm. you guys ever um do you guys ever learn about the 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 Yerkes Dodson law? which is like the inverted um, parabola relationship between like performance and arousal. Mm. So I remember learning about this at university and it and definitely applies to like us as, as athletes and, and obviously the listeners as well, but like your optimal level of arousal and then your optimal level of performance, like looks different for each and every person. And the relationship between the two is almost like a, an inverted parabola. So almost like a, a hill. And, you know, at the start, if your arousal is, is too low, then typically your performance is, is low as well. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, if arousal is way, way too high, then often you can have impaired performance because of like anxiety or um, you're almost like the movement no longer becomes autonomous because mm-hmm. you're overthinking it. And so basically almost like right smack down the middle is, is sort of where there's a strong correlation between you know optimal arousal and performance. But I think individually, how that sort of bell curve is constructed almost looks differently for each person. So some people, you know, will sniff the sniff the lifting salts, uh, ammonia salts, and that's what some people even eat them. I've heard to a set. 
increased training <laughs> arousal. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And some people, you know, would do that and they're like, now I'm just put off from my set. Like I don't, I don't need to do that in order to feel like I'm going to achieve that optimal level of performance. So I guess at the end of the end of the day, like what you internalize that internal dialogue and what you're telling yourself prior to, you know, approaching that set probably needs to be individual where you can get that that sort of optimal level of arousal in alignment with your performance. Because I think there's been times where even within my own lifting, where I've amped myself up so much for a set that my probably my form is really just broken down because I'm just so amped up. I'm trying to move it quickly. I'm so, you know, off my off my tits <laughs> in terms of my mentality. And it's it's probably not, you know, productive in terms of my performance. And there's been times where I've I've moved into a set and I'm probably just not amped up enough and I've just not been able to lift it. And you take a couple of minutes, come back into it with a better level of arousal and I've been able to finish the set with the desired weight. So mm. Yeah, it's always going to be individualized, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, I think with anything, there's always going to be a balance, like not too much arousal, not too little either. And I've certainly experienced that, like where technique has suffered if I go in there uh, with with too much adrenaline, particularly for those more technical lifts, like a leg extension. I think you'll be fine for something like an RDL. You you probably you potentially won't be. So that pretty much wraps up this episode. Anything you guys wanted to mention before we sign off? No, all pretty no. good. Great. Well, that's going to be it from us. And if you enjoyed this episode, you guys know what to do. You can take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, tag bodybuilding down under. You can also leave us a lovely five-star rating. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can even say a word or two if you so desire. And uh, with, without further ado, we'll sign off here and we'll see you guys next week for the next episode.